Are you a true crime junkie? Do you talk about true crime with your friends all of the time? And are there cases that have stuck with you for so many years because of geographic or emotional closeness? If so, then welcome to Fatalities. I'm Elisa Lucas, and this is the podcast where I explore true crime cases over tea with the help of my friends. Because without tea, friends, and good conversation, there's nothing but darkness and chaos. So grab a warm cup of tea and join me as my friends and I discuss the cases that have struck a chord with us and the related issues that might help us understand why such horrible crimes have occurred. The podcast is dropped every other Wednesday and is available on such podcatchers as Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and so much more. You may follow Fatalities on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but don't forget that T's is spelled T-E-A-S because here is where we spill the tea. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Diana Seacon and David Hatt, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hi, Di. Hey, not Aaron. (laughs) Who the hell are you? I don't know. Sometimes I just have to sit there and wander that are you having an existential crisis in my craft room during my podcast yes <laughs> awesome there's no better way to do it great hey crime crazed we have a special guest host this week erin was traveling uh so she maybe unwisely left it to me to do the podcast for this week so i have special guest and birthday boy and patreon supporter maybe mostly important most importantly <laughs> Dave Hat. Yes. And I, I take it as a personal affront that Aaron's not here right now. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks that uh, you're creeped out by him. <laughs> Which is entirely possible. Totally, totally possible. Creep a lot of people out. <laughs> so, so, Dave, how did you end up on this podcast? Um, well, I've been Diana's friend for longer than I thought I'd be alive. And... <laughs> I don't know, I was a fan because I hadn't heard my friend's voice in a long time, and it was nice just to be able to hear her every week. Aw, that's so (laughs) sweet. All right, well, we've got a good story, uh, and in fact, it is a story that you suggested, and we'll talk about how we got there in a minute. But first, I have to tell you that Crime Crazy is sponsored by... Uh, you <laughs> and Seb Bryce. Thanks, guys. Uh, show sponsors support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Thank you. We appreciate it. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, next week will be the week that we're giving our monthly shout outs. So if you would like a shout out for being a Patreon supporter, you've got, I mean, honestly, only about four days because we're doing this at the last minute. So do what you can. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash crime crazy pod or just search for crime crazy. Uh, and we'll give you a shout out on the show and all sorts of other cool things. If you would like to receive a shout out otherwise, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave. Yes. Guess what? Chicken butt. Yes. And 
<laughs> in your hand? <laughs> we got two new reviews this week. No. Totally. Possible. No, you were there when I discovered it. <laughs> so thank you very much to Lizzie 43645 and Crime Cast Fan. You left wonderful five star reviews and we love them and appreciate them. You can follow Crime Crazy on all the social medias at Crime Crazy Pod or visit our website at crimecrazypodcast.com. So how come Lizzie 4543 and Lizzie 4546 and up haven't left reviews? I don't know. Maybe we need to hunt them down and make some pretty specific threats. All right. We'll We'll give you something to do for the next 4,353 minutes. How long is that? I just learned. I thought I was going to learn something there, and then I didn't. <laughs> so, Dave, did you learn anything this week? Um, I did, but I forgot it. So I, <laughs> I brought something that I figured you knew, you know, because you're an expert at these sorts of things. Um, when I was in Australia, I learned that kangaroos have a bifurcated penis, and bifurcation means it's split like a Y. So when they take a whiz, there's two streams. Right. But then like when they're having sexy kangaroo times, are there two receiving holes? I don't think so. I think it's just double the pleasure, double the fun. I feel like that would be weird. (laughs) But I'm not a kangaroo. (laughs) Maybe it's like an anti-aircraft gun where one fires and the other one wrecks back. Well, if anyone knows the answer to that, you should let us know. <laughs> yes, it was, it was quite the sight to behold. I had heard about it, and then when we went to the, the Sydney Zoo, mm-hmm. um, I was lucky enough to be there while a, a kangaroo was urinating. Oh. Indeed, it was true. We had kangaroos at the zoo here. It might have been last summer. It might have been summer before. I don't fucking remember. I was not aware of that fact, nor did I see a kangaroo pee. Yeah. And it's, it's very possible, and don't quote me on it but i think a lot of marsupials are bifurcated huh so your your pandas your pandas aren't marsupials i thought they were you're thinking koalas i'm not 100 sure they're marsupials either are you sure i thought they were marsupials too i just went to the national zoo and i'm pretty sure they would have mentioned if pandas were marsupials well, what are they then? they're not they're bears. bears no they are there was a big sign that says pandas are bears <sighs> now you're going to tell me pluto's not a planet it's big enough for your mom. <laughs> That's what your dad told me. <laughs> that must be on the back of that t-shirt. <laughs> That's going to get cut. <laughs> oh, no way. All right. That's fascinating. I wonder what the evolutionary advantage is. Double your pleasure, double the fun. Yeah, that's got to be it. Yeah. I mean, two is always better than one. That's is what they it? say. It's the American way. Bigger, better. Has that worked out for us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about politics today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. White men hate it when I do that. <laughs> no, I agree with your politics. Just... <laughs> no, no, no. We've gotten reviews. They hate it when I do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we talk politics, they're really going to hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know who's more liberal, you or me. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I don't know either. All right. Anyway. So ask me. Die. did you learn anything today? I did. 
Um, but I don't remember how I learned it. I went down like a internet K-hole the other night and this is one of the things I learned. A K-hole? Well, it wasn't a real K-hole. It was just a... I've, I've never heard that phrase before. <laughs> I'm learning something as we're doing the book. You've never heard that? <laughs> uh, apparently when you do ketamine, you can go down a K-hole and you just lose some days. I don't know what ketamine is. It's a horse tranquilizer. <laughs> okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> now I feel weird about knowing this. <laughs> All I remember is what, what's the angel dust? Is that PCP? Yeah. Yeah. That that's a horse tranquilizer. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. I know it's horrifying. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Anyway, sorry. All right. So anyway, I went I went down many internet rabbit holes the other night, and one of the things that I found was that the person who has served the longest time in prison in the United States was a man named Paul Geidel Jr. I remember him from high school. Well, then you are even older than I am because he was 17 in 1911 <laughs> when he robbed and murdered a 73-year-old guy, uh, William H. Jackson. He was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years in prison. So he started out at Sing Sing, and he was nearing a possible parole hearing, but doctors suddenly decided that he was legally insane in 1926, after he'd been in prison for 15 years, and they moved him to the Donnamora State Hospital for the Criminal Insane, which grammatically made me a little uneasy. And he was there until 1972, when he was transferred to Fishkill Correctional Facility. He was granted parole in 19... Fishkill? Fishkill, Yeah. F-I-S-H-K-I-L-L, fish kill. <laughs> Maybe that's what I have to learn for next week. Continue. <laughs> he was granted parole in 1974, but he was 80 years old. And he had spent 63 years, his entire adult life in prison. And he didn't want to go because he didn't know what else to do. So he asked to stay and they granted that. And he stayed for another six years. He finally left prison on May 7th of 1980. Having served the longest prison sentence in the U.S., again, he was convicted in 1911 and given a 20-year sentence. He should have been out in 31. Well, yeah, you said what? He was he let out in 1980. He should have been let out in right, 31. But it was like a two, two years before he was going to be let out that they decided he was insane, right? Um, Like five-ish. Okay. But it was right before he was up for his first parole hearing. I think if I was him, I would have called B to the S on that. I mean, but it was like the 20s. There was bullshit in the 20s. Well, but it was all bullshit in the 20s. It was hard to tell the difference. <laughs> we didn't know things yet. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't alive back then. Oh, no, me neither. Die? <laughs> <laughs> nope. So no. I, can't, I, can't, I can't play the part of, you know, Aaron being the younger of the two of us now. No, because it's definitely you. Yep. So he was, uh, what, 86 or so when he was released. He died almost exactly seven years after he was let out on May 1st, 1987, at the age of 93. And he, after he was released from prison, he spent the remainder of his years in a nursing home. And his record for incarceration has not yet been broken. Hmm. So not only the longest, but the, like, deeply shittiest way to go about it. Did, he, did you say what the crime he committed was? A murder. Say, Second was it, degree. Was it even something that is worth your entire life? But it wasn't supposed to be. His, like, that's what gets me. It wasn't supposed to be his entire life. And even if they declared him criminally insane, which they must have, like, there wasn't a ton of information about this. 
like even if they just looked at the prison time, he'd served about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then when they let him out of the hospital, I guess it was only an, an additional two. So there's not counting the hospital. And was he suddenly not insane? Like so many questions. Right. And why wasn't he released? Like when, because wasn't it in the late seventies that they pretty much kind of evacuated all those. Oh, a lot of the institutions, you know, where you just don't, well, he was back in prison by then. Oh, okay. And he asked to stay. Like, he wanted to stay in prison because he right. just didn't know what to do otherwise. Yeah. Sorry. I, I'm acting like I didn't even listen to your story, which may be true. <laughs> I'm a white man. <laughs> it's true. I do have a vagina, so... <laughs> I, may have, I may have glossed off in the middle of it and just kind of catch the end. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That fact kind of bummed me out. I'm sorry. Now I've bummed all of you out too. I don't like the kangaroo penis idea better. (laughs) (laughs) I should have like. Should have led with the kangaroo penis. We did lead with the kangaroo penis. Oh, well, shit. Not inebriated, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Yes, you're you're in for a treat. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. Sometime last year, you had sent me some information about a story, and I decided at that point that I wanted to wait until you were in town so you could be on the show so you could talk about it. And then we bought Bob Mould tickets, so (laughs) I knew you were going to come into town around your birthday, Mm -hmm. and I thought, all right, so like I had it in my head, we were going to do this story when you came into town after we saw Bob Mould, which was last night, by the way, and it was fucking amazing. But I digress. But then in between the time that we decided on it and you told me about the story, Aaron and I decided to do this string thing where all of our stories tie together. So in the back of my head, this whole time I've been like, I got to get to this one. Like, how do I do this? And motherfuckers did it. (laughs) Good on you then. Oh, I'm super excited about it. Good on you. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself. So last week on Crime Crazy, I told the very shortened version of the Patty Hearst kidnapping. I don't think Patty Hearst had anything to do with Aberdeen, South Dakota. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> but the reason that I went between, because I went from like rich girls doing bad stuff. And so that I got into Patty Hearst. And the reason I chose Patty Hearst as my rich girl doing bad things, besides the fact that I didn't really know anything about that case, was because it's a kidnapping, which got me to oh. a kidnapping. Also a little murder. This is kind of like Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon. A little Gee. bit. A little bit. So we're talking about this one because it happened in your hometown. It did. When you were a kid. Yes. Kid, kid, teenager? Six would have been 14. Okay, so teenager. And you remember, like, all this going down. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was a big big deal um aberdeen's maybe 14 to twenty thousand people and it's the third largest city in south dakota it is it is wait so pure is less than that pure is less than that holy shit capital cities aren't usually the biggest have you ever noticed that well hi saint paul i have <laughs> but i i guess i didn't realize actually another thing that i learned today was that aberdeen is the third largest city in south dakota i, I didn't realize it was that small yeah, it's probably soon to be eclipsed by Watertown, Ooh. who uh, was wise to allow Interstate 29 to run through it. Whereas Aberdeen's like, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, good job, Aberdeen. Yeah. Die so, in town. Um, I've, I've heard that they are the meth capital of South Dakota and used to be, well, was 
the hub city because of all the train connections that you could get out there's minneapolis and st paul <laughs> no it's minneapolis and st louis railroad yep. i think the great northern went through there mm -hmm. uh, milwaukee chicago and northwestern mm -hmm. many 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 Lots uh -huh. of railroad tracks. I remember when we first met and you were telling me about Aberdeen, one of the first things that you told me is that it was full of owls. Oh, yes. It, um, the, the Native Americans did not like and never settled around Aberdeen mm -hmm. um, because there were a lot of owls. Our, owls are the harbinger of death. And also it's built on a swamp. So Bad job, Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, um, not, not really built to thrive there, were they? <laughs> no, no. And, it, you know, the many floodings and everything. It was like, I don't think this is right. But anyway, yeah. apparently you can build railroad tracks on, on a swamp and it's fine. Maybe the, the noises. Oh, yeah. You want a little bit of like bounce after that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see where that might work. Yep, so I could also see where it might be a horrible disaster. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a railroad engineer. No, it's it's had its little places in time during World War II. You know when the trains were going through and all that good stuff yep. with the troops on it. They set up uh, what they called the pheasant canteen, mm -hmm. and so all the troops would get pheasant sandwiches, which was like a big treat. Oh know, yeah, because nobody they would organize hunting parties and go out and hunt pheasant, and then the ladies of the town. Well, not those ladies of the town. The other <laughs> ladies of the town would uh, make uh, pheasant sandwiches huh. and serve them to all the, the troops that go into war and coming back. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Pheasant is delicious. I wouldn't know. I've only had it in chili, but it was really good. <laughs> it was really good in chili. Yeah, so all right. I don't, I don't like to eat things I've put my hands in. So <laughs> I try not to put my hands in things I might want to eat. <laughs> Sorry, I've derailed that, that story long That's ago. why I have a grocery store, not a barn. <laughs> Dave originally, when he originally told me about the story, he sent me the links to the court documents, which is lucky because when I was going back and looking at it this week, I can't find any contemporary coverage about this story because it was in 1986 and apparently Aberdeen has not gotten around to digitizing their newspaper. What is digitizing? It's where you put things on the, the interdoodles. Oh. Yes. But it's very hard. Um, and I did not feel like driving to Aberdeen to go through micro microfiche. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a really long drive and I was pressed for time. Right. It's a beautiful city. I should really say that. I have been to Aberdeen. I don't want them to be mad at me. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was lovely and we had a really nice time. Right. I'm one of their... Native sons. <laughs> I don't know that I made a great impression while I was there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm interrupting too much. <laughs> That's okay. The only thing I could find about this case was from AberdeenNews.com, and it was actually just a reference in an article that mostly regurgitated the court documents that you sent me, but also um, talked about how this particular murder in 1986 was the first in Brown County where Aberdeen is located since I think it was 1907. And then there wasn't another murder until 2015. Mm -hmm. And now that I know that there are so few people, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I just thought there were way more people in Aberdeen. Statistics. Math is hard. Well, it's a bell curve. Everything's a bell curve. That's all I learned. True story. So here's what we know. Um, all of the information that I have here is from court documents, which leads 
a lot to be desired from a narrative standpoint. I'm going to be asking you for some color commentary I here. I will try. I will try. Excellent. Will endeavor to persevere. Ooh. So on the morning of May 8th, 1985, Michael Kinney left the home that he shared with his mother to attend classes at Northern State College, which you also briefly attended? I did. Two years. Ooh. Except it was Northern State University. <gasps> they upgraded. Ooh, excellent. Uh, in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And he was never seen alive again. The next morning, Michael's mother, Sandra McNeil, found her son's car on the side of the road near their home, locked, but Michael was nowhere to be found. She thought that was weird, so she called the sheriff. The next morning, which was May 10th, Mrs. McNeil got a call from an unidentified man telling her that if she wanted to know what happened to her son, she should go to a phone booth at an Aberdeen bar and retrieve an envelope left under the phone. She did that, and she found a ransom note demanding $200,000, which is about $470,957 today, mm -hmm. in exchange for her son. It's a lot of Ataris. So many Ataris. This is, what, 1986? We're looking at... 2600 No. Before? No. After. Maybe no Ataris. We're talking about NESs by now. No. That Way. early? Way. Huh. Check that out. Sorry. Had to interject a little retro gaming <laughs> into the... Of course. <laughs> Police were able to round up 190000 from local banks. I don't know if the other 10000 just didn't happen or if she had it. Like, the other 10000 is just missing. <laughs> well, maybe she... Maybe... <laughs> He's like, if you deliver it by a certain date, you get a 10% Cash discount. Cash discount? <laughs> That's only a 5% discount. It's not I even a very good like, one. <laughs> Yeah, math is hard. Math is hard. And I'm from Aberdeen, so. <laughs> <laughs> they rounded up 190000 They took the money to the McNeil residence to wait for further instructions. And those didn't come for three days, which as a parent must have been the worst three days ever. I could imagine. The longest, worst three days ever. Well, and the funny thing about this thing is it, I mean, it played out over time. Like, yeah. First you heard in the, in the news that, you know, the guy disappeared. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you know. Oh, she had a call, you know, and then what comes next? You know, yeah. you just got little snippets of it every few days. So it was like this big, long drama. Yeah. You know, back in the olden days before, you know, the internet, when you knew everything right away. Right. It came really slow. Did Aberdeen ever have like a morning and an afternoon paper? No, we just, the American news came out in the morning. Okay. So you would have had to wait the whole next day. Right. But you always had, you know, KBY. The local television station oh. to follow up. Yeah. But still, you had to wait hours to see what was going on. Right. And there was delay. Yeah. But the, the cool thing about the past is that there was other things to do besides sitting there wondering what <laughs> happened to a local or, you know, a local celebrity or anything like that. We had yeah. you know, our imaginations and stuff. So. My God, you sound like a grandpa. <laughs> yeah. and I can't even use the both hill or both ways up the hill because Aberdeen is so flat. Completely. Flat. <laughs> it's in the region of the United States designated as treeless. And yeah. <laughs> they planted the trees that are there. Did you know that they did a study, it was a few years ago, I don't remember how long ago, that proved that Kansas is actually flatter than a pancake? Because pancakes have like the divots, like yeah. the kind of pores, and canvas Kansas does not. See, no, this. Okay, so like 
were they looking at a pancake under an electron microscope and then comparing it to like no what they looked at is if you took a pancake and made it the size of canvas Kansas. of kansas i don't know why i keep saying canvas um canvas is more interesting probably <laughs> it's a blank slate from which the imagination can grow oh that was beautiful thanks I just came up with that. <laughs> All right. So three days later, <laughs> after the discounted amount was rounded up. You asked for this. I know. <laughs> there was a second phone call. And in this phone call, Mrs. McNeil was instructed to leave the money near a statue in an Aberdeen park, which was never named in all of the court documentation I read. And it was called Melgard Park. There we go. Melgard Park. And the statue was of Andrew Melgard, who famously walked from Watertown to Aberdeen and stopped and rest at that point. And hence the park. <laughs> You're shitting me, right? Yeah. <laughs> God, that was beautiful. <laughs> All right. So who is Andrew Melgard? No, he did walk from, from, <laughs> I can't remember what he was. I think he was a philanthropist or something, but he did walk from somewhere really far away. How far away is Watertown? I'm not up on my South Dakota geography. I don't know as the bird flies or. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good walk. For 18, whatever. But yeah, yeah, there's a statue in the middle of the park. Mm -hmm. He's up on this giant boulder. Okay. Where the hell they got a boulder. (laughs) I mean, we're not talking. The glaciers did not push. The glaciers didn't push uh, those boulders around in Aberdeen. No, not there. Um, so yeah, I don't know where they got the boulder, but yeah, they got the the statue probably from a statuary. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was in college, I filled a pie tin up with shaving cream and I put it on his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see I that. The Statue of Limitations is over on. On buying a statue. (laughs) Mischief. Yeah, it's just fine. It's probably fine. Well, it turned his face green, I heard. Because it was copper. (laughs) He would have turned green eventually anyway. Yeah. The premature greening made it. (laughs) You didn't go check? What, What have I told you? Or what have you learned about doing a true crime broadcast? Oh yeah, don't go don't go have don't a look. <laughs> go back to the scene of the crime. Alrighty. Statue Aberdeen, uh, at nine nine PM. The caller also told her that her son was okay, but wouldn't let her speak to him until he got the money. Which means he's dead. Always means he's dead. Always means he's dead. <laughs> the money was delivered as directed, and it was picked up by a young man in a blue Oldsmobile who drove off unaware that federal, state, and local law enforcement had eyes on him. The whole time. Which was also a big deal. The FBI was in Aberdeen. Right, which it was interested to see that because this is before, I don't want to give any spoilers, but Minnesota gets involved. So before like state lines were crossed, is kidnapping automatically a federal? I guess. Yeah, we don't know anything about our legal system. <laughs> I just learned that just because something's a felony doesn't mean that it's a federal crime. So I really know. Oh, yeah, no. Two different things. About. I I don't know. There's something in the back of my mind that tells me that kidnapping is always 
It's a federal. big deal. It's a super big deal. And I suppose there's always really high probability that it does become interstate. Murder or... Well, just crossing state lines, because oh. that's usually when the feds get involved. Yep. So all of the law enforcements had eyes on him the whole time. They had also put a radio tracking device in the bottom of the briefcase that was holding the money, which is pretty slick considering it was 1986. And following that, the, uh, following that signal, the agents were able to follow the person who picked up the money, Todd Michael Miller. Before he left in Aberdeen and started heading towards Minnesota, he stopped to change clothes, switch into an orange Camaro, and picked up his 17-year-old sister, Paula. The two then hauled ass into Minnesota and were at a roadblock in Starbuck, Minnesota, where Miller was arrested. Now, of note, just two years before, on July 1st of 1983, the world's largest lefsa was born in Starbuck, Minnesota. You may want to tell non-Minnesotans what what lefsa is. is. It's like a pancake, but made out of potatoes and not that good unless you put stuff on it. Yeah, you got to put ketchup. I mean... Not ketchup? Gross. Really? No. I just ate it. I always just ate it like a... What are those things? Tortilla. The potatoes that they put into the pan and they fry them up and they're called hash browns. <laughs> <laughs> so you warm it up a little bit. We always had it... Um, because my dad's Scandinavian. Mm. We always had it with butter and like sugar and cinnamon. Oh, and that was really good. And my aunt would make something I thought was lefsa at first, but I think it was called Fatiman. Not Scandinavian. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, like you said, if it's like if you took a pancake and dried it out and mm-hmm. then rolled it up into a cylinder. Yeah. It was oh, I don't know what that's called, but I know what you're talking about. But it's like harder. Yeah, she yeah. called it Fatiman. Sorry. Yeah, no, lefsa is more like tortilla consistency. It's actually oh. very much like a tortilla, except it's made out of potatoes. Now I know what you're talking about. And everything I said about the hash browns... Yeah, that's wrong. ...was incorrect. Yeah. But yeah, butter and cinnamon. Butter and cinnamon sugar. Yep. Sorry. So <laughs> I I was once in Starbuck, Minnesota. Uh, I was there because the local town that I was going to had no hotel rooms. So I ended up in Starbuck for a hotel room because I did not call ahead because there was always a room when I got there. So I ended up in Starbuck and it was when Jeff and I were first dating and there was no cell service because this was 2005. So I had to stand in the middle of the road in Starbuck, Minnesota to call my boyfriend. Wait, what? You and Jeff were dating, so then you called your boyfriend? No, he was my oh, boyfriend. <laughs> and it wasn't a problem to stand in the middle of the road because there was no traffic the entire time we were on the phone. Why would there be? I don't know. I mean, it was like five o'clock. Um, but they had these banners, like those light post banners that said home of the world's largest lefsa. So I'm telling Jeff, like, check this shit out. I'm in the home of the world's largest lefsa. But I did not know until I was researching the story this week that the world's largest lefsa was born in 1983. I was there in 2005. Those banners were not old. <laughs> They're still celebrating. They are still celebrating it. So what I'm saying is the Lefsa and this roadblock are the two biggest things that have ever happened in Starbuck, Minnesota. So what is it about eastern Minnesota and small towns and having the largest blank? Like the world's largest ball of twine made by one man? Yeah, in Darwin. In Darwin. Which did we see that together? Possibly. Yeah. Because I know I see I don't remember if you were there or not. <laughs> I mean, well, if we went to Aberdeen, then he went through Darwin. So Then I bet we did. Yeah. 
big I don't know, probably ball of twine. Trying to made by one man. <laughs> They're probably trying to get tourism. I mean, anything. We fucking drove down to Darwin to look at the world's biggest ball of twine. It worked. <laughs> no, 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 no. We were passing through Darwin. No, I've definitely went once with my old roommates, Christy and Mike. We definitely drove down specifically to for see it. The ball of twine. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, when you make fun of it for so long, you got to go look at what you're making fun of. Sorry, Darwin. Sorry, sure Darwin. It's, it's you're a, a lovely little town. It's a beautiful, beautiful ball of twine. It's in a really nice little um, thing gazebo. Yeah, it's actually very nice. It looks really old. I think it is pretty old. Yeah. I don't know how well twine holds up. <laughs> Anywho, Do the briefcase <laughs> containing most of the ransom money was found in the orange, orange Camaro. And $862 was in Miller's wallet, $760 of which was identified as the ransom money because they kept track of the serial numbers like you do when you put together ransom money. He didn't specify unmarked bills. Non-consecutive. Yeah. Well, and it could have been both of those. They could have just written them all down. When he was questioned, Miller said that he had $500 in his wallet that he had taken out from the ATM. Which again, I'm going to call bullshit on because it is 2019 and I can only take out $300 at a time from the ATM. It, but back in the pasties, maybe they learned to oh, only they allow have to so limit. much. Yeah. Because ATMs were rather new at the time, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. That would have been. I mean, they didn't even call them ATMs at the time. No. They called them magic money machines. That was actually a brand. We had them in Ohio. Oh. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, I think it was Ohio that we had the magic money machines. Yeah, it's a brand. <laughs> he said he had this, this $500 that he took out of the ATM and the cops are like, hey, Scooter, you have $862 in your wallet, not $500. Then he said that he'd been given some traveling money oh, yeah. by a Mr. Bob Jacobs, who was going to buy a horse from Miller in Alexandria, Minnesota. So isn't, I'm going to go buy a horse a euphemism for something else. I got to go see a man about a horse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously the police were just completely in the wrong because he was going to see a man about a horse. Exactly. And that's never, ever weird. <laughs> During this conversation, one of the agents asked Miller where Mike was, to which Miller replied, I wouldn't hurt Mike McNeil. He's my best friend. At no time had anybody said Mike who? Yeah. Who's Mike McNeil? McNeil was his mom's name. So I don't know if that was like a stepdad's name oh, or if he went I by see. it. It's the only time it was ever mentioned. It wasn't really explained why he called him Mike McNeil. Yeah. But also growing up in the 80s with a mom that had a different last name than I had, I got called weird shit all the time because mm -hmm. nobody understood that when she got married, I didn't get that name too. I suppose, yeah. I kept the old one for another few years and then I took the new one too but it's not usually how it happens yeah, Di changes your name more than enough and then I change my underwear oh my god it's like once a decade <laughs> whether they needed it or not <laughs> yep Miller was turned over to the Aberdeen PD you guys had a police department that's so cute of course fire department please aww out indoor toilets out indoor toilets out indoor <laughs> you got to go out to the indoor toilet no. ah but when you got to the outhouse it was a flusher <laughs> exactly <laughs> but it had the tank above and you just had to pull the chain 
That'd be cool. I wonder if I could still get like a modern version of that for my old house. Yeah. That'd be kind of was, fun. Was that the one that was invented by Mr. Crapper? It, that didn't turn out to be true. <laughs> really? Robert Crapper didn't invent I, the toilet? I think he was somehow involved, but I don't think he invented it. Oh. Anywho. I'm so sad. Aberdeen PD. <laughs> Uh, when he was there, he told the officers that Bob Jacobs, who was a casual acquaintance in his words, had asked him to pick up a package behind the statue in the park Brilliant. and bring it to Jacobs in Alexandria, Minnesota. Jacobs said that if Miller did this for him, he, Jacobs, would buy a horse from him for $45,000. And from this, Miller, quote, suspected that Jacobs was involved in drugs. The officers smelled bullshit right away, and they encouraged Miller to come clean because there was a missing guy that they were trying to find, and they knew that the story was made up. Right. So then he told him that Jacobs had instructed him by phone to call Mrs. McNeil and deliver the envelope to a bar. Jacobs told Miller that if he refused, he'd never see his friend again. He said that he received a second call from Jacobs, who threatened Miller's new baby and instructed him to pick up the money and deliver it to a hotel in Alexandria. So the FBI took Miller to that hotel in Alexandria, but Bob Jones never materialized. Miller was then taken back to Aberdeen and put in jail. We have a jail too. Like like one cell or like more? Bars and everything. Oh, man. Don't ask me how I know. Because you've been in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ask. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> no. Never been in. Close. <laughs> I thought you had been. No, just um, always a bridesmaid, but never a bride. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> On May 16th, Miller delivered the fourth version of what happened. And this is right from the court records, because <laughs> I could not summarize it better. On May 7th, the evening after his son is born. Hey, like, let's look at the, the, the things here. May 7th. He disappeared on the 8th. Yeah. This guy had a two-day-old baby. Anyway, May 7th, the, af- the evening after his son was born, he was celebrating the birth in an Aberdeen bar with some friends, like you do. Do you? Well, when you're not the one still in the hospital. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. I would have liked I, to have celebrated I at a local wrong. bar. I did it completely wrong. Well, I, was, I was like helping out and whatnot. But you had a NICU baby. That's true. But I didn't have to do anything. I mean. No, but like you probably wanted to be there. Particularly. (laughs) I was frightened. Yeah. Yeah. Around 11 p.m., he left the bar. He was approached by two individuals, a white man and an Indian, who pulled him into an alley and asked him for a favor, at which point the white man punched him in the stomach. The white man made a veiled threat against Miller and his baby, and then the two strangers let him go. Miller went home. A man, whose voice Miller identified as that of the unknown white man, called Miller on May 9th and instructed him to take a note from his mailbox and deliver it to Mrs. McNeil or Kinney and Miller's baby would be killed. So there needed to be some better grammar there because Kinney and Miller did not have the baby together. (laughs) Kinney and Miller's baby would be killed. The caller told Miller that Kinney was wearing blue jeans and Nikes. Miller did as he was told in the process making the May 10th call to Mrs. McNeil. On May 12th, Miller received another call from the unidentified white man. He was given instructions regarding the ransom money, which he relayed to Mrs. McNeil. Miller was promised some money if he followed orders. What happened to the horse? No horse. 
I'm listening to this whole thing and all the things. Whatever but what about the, the horse? horse? No horse. As a cover story to explain his trip to Minnesota, Miller told Moore, he made up the horse tail. Oh. <laughs> just the tail. Just the, the tail. Whole not the whole one, just the tail. <laughs> After gathering up the ransom money, he went to an Aberdeen bar and tried to recruit a friend, Toby Whitlinger? Whitlinger? Yeah. yeah. Do you know him? No. <laughs> to join him on his trip. Toby declined, so he called his sister Paula, who went along. Good girl. Two days later, the fifth version of the story came out. Again from the court documents. Kinney had initiated the whole thing and enlisted Miller in an extortion scheme. This scheme required Miller to call Mrs. McNeil and pick up the ransom. Miller suggested the Alexandria... Can't turn. Motel Rendezvous. Kinney indicated that he was in some kind of trouble, which Miller assumed was drug related. He's doing a lot of assuming about the drugs. Yeah. There were, I mean, there were a lot of stories, but go ahead. Yeah. On May 7th, Miller told Kinney he was backing out. The next day, according to Miller, he received a call from an unknown man with a deep voice. Was it you? Probably. <laughs> this person informed him that he had to follow through with the plan or his baby would be killed. Miller admitted that he had written the ransom note and made the calls to Mrs. McNeil. On May 12th, the man called again and said, do as you're told, nobody else is involved, and nobody gets hurt. Despite this warning, after picking up the money, Miller took his younger sister with him, apparently for protection, as he said, there's safety in numbers. Indeed. Because a 17-year-old girl is super good protection. I was afraid of him. <laughs> back then well when probably now too probably yeah so you said that there were rumors they didn't get a lot into the whole drug thing like were they both involved in drugs was anybody involved kind of that i mean it was i don't know any facts because none of them came out like right what you're reading is it's it a lot yeah there's a lot more than what i knew but apparently those two were Involved in the, you know, uh, the marijuana. <gasps> the devil's lettuce. Yes. And so there were some who said that Kinney got what he deserved because he was messing with the with devil's, the devil's lettuce. lettuce. Um, I don't know. I don't think anybody deserves to uh, be found maggot written. But no matter what kind of, you know, kale. <laughs> kale was involved <laughs> anything that sort of thing you know you're making a salad it's okay just let it go mm, i don't know <laughs> not really on board with kale <laughs> so because of this interview with the allegations of like the drugs and and all of those sort of sorts of things an arrest warrant was issued for kenny um and so that wasn't explained because again we're dealing with court records and I found that interesting, and I wondered if that allowed them to amp up the search a little bit, if he wasn't just missing, but also maybe like a criminal, mm-hmm. if that added some more resources. Right, because right. it, it seemed like a really long time before they found him. Yeah, it was like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Which in... in the 80s was forever. 80s, yeah, it was just like crazy. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. They also found an eyewitness who claimed to have seen Kinney in the Alexandria Motel talked about on the night of May 13th, which was five days after he went missing. 
and they received a phone tip from a woman who said that the missing man could be found at an abandoned farm southeast of Aberdeen. So police took a search of a five to six mile radius, um, but it didn't turn up anything. On May 28th, more than three weeks after Michael Kinney was last seen, his badly decomposed and maggot ridden body was found in an abandoned ice house several miles west of Aberdeen. Everything I read, which again was only court documentation, very specifically pointed out the maggot ridden. Well, yeah. Now, interestingly, one of the documents that I read this morning said that one of the bases for, oh, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. One of the bases for appeal was um, the testimony of the etymologist, entomologist, the bug guy. Bug doctor, yeah. Yeah, the bug doctor. Apparently, he went up and he's like, no, no, no. He couldn't have been killed here because the the type of maggots that were found in him are a, a type of blowfly that's only found in South America. But it turned out the research he was using hadn't been updated since 1949. <laughs> so they threw that right the hell out. Yeah. Well, Aberdeen. Right. But everything talked about the maggot written. He was found in an ice house. He'd been shot three times and had head injuries that seemed to have been inflicted with a square-edged instrument. What would be a square-edged, like, not a hammer? Hmm, square-edged instrument. I'm thinking, like... Maybe, like, a Telecaster? What's a Telecaster? Like, the video... No, that's not... (laughs) Oh, that was... (laughs) I was thinking, like, because it was never mentioned what the murder weapon actually was, like, what the square-edged instrument was. They said that he was missing a tire iron out of the back of a Oldsmobile. Ah. Which also had the bullets, right? The Oldsmobile did, yeah. yeah. Yep. If you're going to use a you know a car in a murder, Oldsmobile's the one to go for. Do they still make Oldsmobiles? No. Oh. They don't. My grandparents had Oldsmobiles. <laughs> My mom did too. Yeah. There's a special feel in an Oldsmobile. <laughs> you're on fire tonight. The doctor who performed the autopsy concluded that either one of those could have gotten the job done of killing him, but he thought that the gunshot wound to the aorta was the one that had done the trick. Booyah. I feel like that seems valid. Always go for the aorta. Oh, man. He also said that the stomach contents were consistent with Kinney's last known meal and estimated that he'd been dead for two to three weeks, but he said that was a real rough estimate. Did he say what the meal was? It was pizza. From Pizza Hut. Was it from Pizza Hut? I don't know. I don't know. It didn't say where it was from, but it was like a pepperoni sausage and olive. Okay, so in Aberdeen at that time, there were three pizza places. Pizza Hut, Lou's Pizza, and Godfather's. So it had to be one of those three. It appeared that Kenny had not been killed at the ice house, but he was probably left there after his death. Actually, I do want to clarify the ice house thing. Is this an ice house like a fishing ice house, or was this an ice house like a storage ice house? Do you know? I remember the picture of it on the paper, and it was like one of those dilapidated kind of leaning. So I'm guessing an ice house. Like a fish house? Not on the lake. Okay, it's like a storage ice house? Right. All right. Yeah, it seemed to be too big for a fishing ice house. But you're talking about 30 years ago? Well, yeah, but if it was also dilapidated, like you can't haul that onto the lake. Right. Well. You should not haul that onto the lake. (laughs) It hadn't always been dilapidated. That's true, but it was by that. It like everything talked about like it was really not. I just thought it was just somebody's not outhouse, but an outbuilding. Some outbuilding, yeah. Right. 
And what was what's really weird, and I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but I, I when I remember this story, I remember that Kinney, it always seemed like he was a kid. Yeah, he was. But he, I mean, he was a college student. Yeah, but he was like eighteen or twenty or something. Yeah, but I, mean, I was thinking he was like twelve, you know, like a Jacob Wetterling type thing. No, 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 no. He was. That's the bad thing about only going on court records. They don't have things like birth dates and shit of the victims. Right. Like the the narrative is very poor. Sorry, but but no, he was. It's a horrible story. It's all my fault. <laughs> it's not a horrible story. It's just they don't give me all the details I want. <laughs> Um, so he wasn't killed in the ice house, probably left there after he was dead. During the trial, several interesting things were presented. There was testimony that Miller's father was in financial difficulty. And there was a land payment that was due like the day that that Kenny disappeared or the day after, like right around there. Martin Miller, the father, had written checks totaling $23,420.10, which were returned for insufficient funds. Todd Miller knew his dad was in financial trouble and had discussed selling a horse to raise the money that was needed for the land payment. Miller indicated that Kinney regularly used marijuana and maybe other drugs and wanted to leave Aberdeen and go to Canada. He speculated that he could do this by forging bank documents. However, the girlfriend, uh, Kinney's girlfriend, indicated that Kinney didn't have any money problems and other witnesses testified that Kinney already had access to his mom's bank accounts, so there was no need to perform fraud in order to get money out of her. He had access to everything. Right. I guess unless he's just you know, embarrassed to say, hey, mom, I need some money to go buy a horse or right, but to if go he, buy some horse. Well, he wanted to go to Canada. The horse was the other guy. But horses are also heroin. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that horse. But if he was going to, like, if he was saying that he could do it by forging bank documents, he didn't need to do that. He could have gone into the bank and been like, give me the money. Yeah. And just peaced out and never, like, asked his mom or anything. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're not dealing with the sharpest staples in the staple. No. I'm also never giving Liam access to my bank accounts. That seems like a super bad idea. Physical evidence included hair, fiber, and blood taken from the Oldsmobile, matched samples taken from Kinney's body, and a live round matching those found in Kinney's body was recovered from the Camaro. Um, They couldn't do an exact match because the bullets they found in Kinney, they just said deformed, but they didn't say how. So I don't know if it was from the impact or were they shitty bullets? Like it, it didn't say how, but they weren't, it was the same kind, it was the same caliber but they couldn't say it was exactly the same because there was something wrong with the bullets in the body that made that impossible. Yeah, I don't want to sound stupid. I was going to say maybe they weren't like, you know, jacketed, so they were they tumbled and broke up. Maybe. You know more about bullets than I do. But Yeah, what I could have said is just completely wrong. Too. Mm. Certain bullets are are made to, to tumble and break up and cause mm-hmm. more damage. Now, that's, that's why they use the M16. Or the- well, didn't they, like, fragment? Or like these kind of ones, explode. Yeah, these ones are are meant when they hit. They're very small caliber mm-hmm. at a very high velocity. So when it hits, it it breaks up and tumbles through the body uh, and, and leaves pieces, parts all around. So it's a twenty two caliber. Where is that in like caliber world? Um, pretty small. Okay, like smaller than the tip of your finger or your okay. pinky finger. 
doesn't seem like it should like, velocity maybe like a um like an omeprazole capsule <laughs> it'd be a bit smaller than that hey heartburn how are you <laughs> but there's hollow points that like when you hit like they mushroom out and get bigger mm-hmm. there's you know steel jacketed there's they make ones that are hypersonic i think they're called oh my. they're very pointed so they travel faster and cut into whatever they're going into oh wow it's a whole new world oh hell yeah i mean killings science in and of itself oh yeah totally and there's always something to kill i hear (laughs) (laughs) handwriting analysis demonstrated that miller's handwriting matched a forged check from kinney's account written after his disappearance the clerk at the convenience store where the check was passed identified Miller. Kenny's checkbook, which he was carrying at the time of his disappearance, which I was reading that and I was like, why on earth would you carry your checkbook? Oh, because it was 1986 and we all did that. Because yeah. <laughs> that was a, you know, That's what, a form yeah. of currency back then. Right. Todd Michael Miller was convicted of first degree murder, kidnapping, possession of ransom money and forgery. He was sentenced to life imprisonment on the murder and kidnapping charges, 15 years for possession of ransom money, and five years on the forgery count, all to be run concurrently. He appealed. He lost. There was some really great commentary in the appeals um, from the judge. I liked him a lot. And he is still in prison, as far as I could tell. Yep, he is also a resident of Sioux Falls, just like me. Aww. Do you like to go visit him? No. I, I, I thought about it. <laughs> You know, it's like kind of a weird, like when you're a kid celebrity, like Blinky the Clown. Right. (laughs) I feel like this is your Jacob Wetterling that we talked about. The the kid that was kidnapped, who's Mm -hmm. like a year younger than me. I mean, this guy was older, but like that has always affected, like I know it affected how my parents treated us. I know it's impacted how I think about safety with my son. Like, was this kind of the same thing? Did you see anything from your mom that was different? I think at first there was. Like you, like I said, it, it played out over what seemed like months, but apparently wasn't. But yeah, I mean, we couldn't go out and stuff mm-hmm. until they had the person. But I, th- I think Jacob Wetterling, that whole case, I mean, that affected me too. I mean, we were in high school when that happened. Um, yeah. And that was so close. And it was a kid. It wasn't just. Well, and they didn't find him. Right. They didn't. They didn't find him. They didn't find the guy. Like nobody knew anything. He's just gone. Whereas this was at least resolved. We know he killed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was always question about it. Like I said, small town people talk. Yeah. You know, they were both involved in the in the underworld of you know Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Yeah. Criminal underworld. All those railroad tracks have to to lead somewhere yeah but i have to believe that the criminal underworld in aberdeen is not that horrible (laughs) like i don't know it's not the mob it could be i mean if i were the mob i'm gonna wax philosophical here why (laughs) you know there's just as much money to be made in a lot of small places as there is in a small amount of large places yeah, that's why they own all the garbage companies. And Little Caesars. Do they own Little Caesars now? That's what I heard. Oh, they used to own Snapple. 
Yeah. It's good stuff. Went downhill since they got rid of it. I never liked it. I don't know. I mean, the mob is bad or whatever, but... <laughs> That's a great tagline. The mob is bad or whatever. <laughs> but everybody loves a good freaking gangster movie, right? Hell and yeah. Goodfellas is like one of the most popular movies, The Godfather. Oh yeah, I love so a good mob they're, story. They're bad, but boy, do we love them. Where were we? <laughs> we were at the end. Like, what else do you know? What do you... About that story? Yeah. Just that he's still there. Um, it was the first, like, I mean, you knew about murder from watching Starsky and Hutch and stuff <laughs> like that, but it actually happened in our town. The park was only two or three blocks away from my house. I, yep. I had tennis lessons there. I rolled the tornado slide when I was little there. You know, every that was the park. Like every summer, they had arts in the park where you mm-hmm. go and see stuff. And so, yeah, I was kind of like, "Holy crap!" Were you around when they did the drop with all the cop? Well, no. I mean, no, he it, didn't see them, so you wouldn't have seen them. No, 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 no. It it just kind of came out in the paper later that all that happened, and you're like, "What?" Yeah, how are you so close? So. Yeah, and that happened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it had everything. It was the ransom note. Yeah. You know, if you don't give us the money, you'll never see him alive again. And, yeah. And then the drop and and the car chase, you know. Yeah, it was so textbook. It was, yeah, just bizarre. And yeah. it was happening a few blocks away from my house. And, you know, where I lived when I, in Aberdeen was on Main Street. And Northern State College was, you know... Two blocks. It was Lincoln Street, Washington, Northern. Wow. And then, you know, that park was, I mean, it borders mm-hmm. Northern State. So <laughs> all that happened right around where I live. I feel like I've completely derailed this whole. <laughs> <laughs> Lost 50,000. I don't know. Years. I feel like that's usually my job. <laughs> yeah. Should have warned him at the very beginning. If Probably. Like die. This guy. You're not going to like him at all. <laughs> yeah. We, we were convinced that we were the same person in college. Oh Just, yeah. Very similar. All right. So, Dave, have you been listening to any good podcasts lately? I am waiting with bated breath <laughs> to a podcast that's going to be coming out in September. Um, it's part of the series called We're Alive. Okay. Um, it's written by Casey Whalen. He was in the Army in, I believe, Iraq and Afghanistan. And when he was there, he started writing uh a story that became We're Alive, the story of survival. Okay. And it's, you know, walking dead, zombie kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, really good. It's it's more, they call it like theater of the mind. Okay. So they like actually acted out and oh, sounds cool. and stuff. And they're, so the, 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 the first one, story of survival, I went for, I want to say three seasons. Okay. And it's all one story. And then they came out with one that was only six episodes called Lockdown. So it was happened at the same time, but it was in a prison. Oh. And then this one coming up is called Gold Rush. And it's like a spur of the main story. They sent some soldiers off to do something. And mm-hmm. that's about all I know about it. Cool. 
time. So I'm a Patreon there too. And I, I really enjoy it. Um, I mean, it's like kind of like listening to a book on tape. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that. And tell them Steve, Dave, which is part of Kevin Smith's podcast network. Okay. Um, and you guys, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I haven't listened to anything new because I'm still deeply embroiled on the story must be told, which I believe I said it last week. If you're up for a weird time, <laughs> you should check it out. Um, but when you said like like a radio drama, mm-hmm. one I used to love listening to and they're not making it anymore. I don't, I'm pretty sure they're not. Um, but all the back episodes, it's um, the Thrilling Adventure Hour. And it's like old timey radio drama, and there are several different threads. So there's like Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars, oh, and uh, a pair of married mediums that are mostly just drunks, and, <laughs> and a lot of really great names. Um, that's where I was introduced to like Mark Gagliardi, who of course is uh, one of the creators of Drunk History, uh, and always ends up on the floor. He's my favorite. Um, I'm a Rich Fulcher fan. Oh, I love Rich Vulture. And what did you learn? My ball. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> but Paget Brewster, Mark Evan Jack Jackson, Jackman, Jackson, uh, from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Lots of really good stories and stuff in there. So if you're up for a radio drama um that is also very clean. So you can listen to it around your children, unlike the story must be told. <laughs> I can't remember if We're Alive has swearing. I'm pretty sure I mean it's it's army guys, so it's probably situational though. It's not like not gratuitous, gratuitous and graphic. <laughs> no. And it's funny because I mean, when you start listening to it, you think this one guy is going to be the main character, but then when you really when it gets done, mm-hmm. you kind of realize that oh, it's this other guy that was kind of at first was kind of a side character, but really it's his story. Is it like how Star Wars is actually the story of Han Solo? No. Yes, that's not true. It's true. No. That's not <laughs> true. That's impossible. Nope. Look at it. No. Nope. No character development. There's no growth going on. Luke Skywalker is a whiny waste of a human being. No, he's not. Mm. We will agree to disagree. So, Dave, yes. do you have any advice for us? Sure. If you ever want a park named after you, just walk. And then wherever you rest, they'll make a park for you. Who would like that to be true? <laughs> like, how long do I have to walk? Well. At least 100 miles. 100 apparently. miles, yeah. Yeah. Without any modern accoutrement. So, like, no iPhone? No iPhone. Well, then I'm going to walk a lot more than 100 miles because I'm going to get you so may, lost. You may have actually have a mechanical compass. Yeah, that's not going to help. Yeah. All right. So, do you have any advice? No, that's your job this week. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's really crappy advice. I mean, I don't think that I get it right all the time either. <laughs> yeah, always, always get everything in writing and never put anything in writing. Excellent. Call your people. And don't be like me because I did end up on this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>